Welcome, everybody. This is Keith reporting from the Low Key Podcast, and I'm joined with your host, Aaron Lanton. Yo, yo. And Tim Malloy. Hey, hey, hey. So today we're going to take another deep dive into um, HBO's The Watchmen series, um, which we talked about it once before in a previous podcast, but it was like, I want to say, what was the first couple of episodes? And now we want to circle back and talk about this. Um, what I would say, I don't know if the other guys agree with me a pretty iconic show and now that we've reached the series finale and just kind of go into a deep dive over the show so what you guys think about the finale especially Aaron because a lot of the things that happen I feel in this series you already predicted it's kind of impressive I gotta admit Um, (laughs) (laughs) like if you listen back to the last episode there were things that I had picked up on that I was like man some ain't right and it's funny, I'm I'm looking at the IMDB page right now, and it's I was like, why is Carl Abar second? That always kind of I thought was weird. And then what I had mentioned was there were things about him I just didn't trust. And I was like pointing him out. I was like, where was Carl when all the shooting was going on? So, of course, you saw Angelo wake up, but like, is he part of the cavalry? Like, what's going on? That don't make any sense. Like, he just wasn't around. And there were things, just the way he was talking, I was like, sum up with him. I wasn't going to go Dr. Manhattan, but I think, oh yeah, spoiler, spoilers, spoilers everywhere. But you did say, I thought you did say that you thought he was Dr. Manhattan. I wasn't, no, I, it, you it, felt, it, it felt too far left field. I just said there's something up with him and there's something up with um, the politician. I was like, I don't, I was like, and I, and I mentioned why I thought they were fishy, but I, I couldn't put my finger on, I almost was, I knew he was part of Calvary though, like that was obvious. The politician. Yeah, yeah. Like, I picked up on that. I snipped that out quick. Um, I knew the thing with Ozymandias that that he had been put somewhere that wasn't Earth by Dr. Manhattan. It didn't mean that he was, like, trying to keep him in solitude necessarily because he was going to harm people, but something happened. Um, But, yeah, I mean, a lot of things I said came to fruition. So, yeah, I mean, that's that. I mean, but I feel like it wasn't obvious. You kind of had to pick through it a little bit, but they had a lot of great things in there. I did not see the Hooded Justice stuff coming at all. That was fantastic stuff. Amazing. This show, for me, is just super impressive on so many levels. And I thought stuck the landing in a way that really made sense that we'll come back to. I've been talking a bunch already. But, yeah, what did, what did you think, Tim, of, of the finale? Uh, my best friend of 35 years, we met um, because I was trying to show how Wolverine's claws get stuck in a wall and how you can defeat Wolverine by getting him to get his claws stuck in a wall. We're nerds. It's a long way of saying we're nerds. Mm-hmm. Um, Juan Montoya sent me a text this morning that said, if you're not caught up on, Watch- on Watchmen, stop what you're doing and get caught up. <laughs> He's never sent me anything like that, ever. Um, and I do think this was that kind of event where it was just like, oh my God, like you need to be caught up so we can talk about this. For me, the show did peak out in the middle. Like the stuff with Hooded Justice was absolutely amazing. Just one of the best hours of TV I've ever seen. And mm-hmm. so spectacular. And there were so many little moments along the way. So many just cinematic, incredibly imaginative, dramatic moments um, that I will never be, you know, mad or dismissive of this show. Um, I did feel like the end was a little bit weird in terms of I felt like the arc of the show was a little confusing at the beginning and a little boring because of that and then incredibly great in the middle and then the end as they started to explain things the pace was a little bit slow again so I had a weird time with the show but I'm just coming around to the conclusion that I would much rather somebody make something that's a little bit weird and different and imperfect than something cookie cutter and and you know generally satisfying so I thought that the swing for the fences attitude of the show was really welcome and cool. Right. And, and, and back to the hood of justice stuff, the hood of justice, Will Reeves, that episode is maybe one of the best episodes of anything. I feel like I've ever seen in a long time. And, and I, I like the way that they, that they've done this in Watchmen in this reconstruction of American history. And, and also, I guess in a way, de- demystifying the the concept of the superhero, and and what does that come from? Like, if in a in a real world, 
would it be good to have people that dressed up in masks and I guess fault crime and so on and so forth. And there's always that statement where they, where they say, um, what is it that the thing about masks that masks make men cool? That's what Osmania said. Osmania said that. And it's always that kind of concept that, like, if you're wearing a mask, there's something that you're hiding. There's some type of deep trauma that you're hiding. And there's, um, that's you pretty much going back and fighting, fighting back at the world and whatnot. And it does, for me, it makes me rethink how I ever viewed the superhero genre in itself in a way, right? Like, especially when, when it goes to, like, um, vigilantes such as Batman and um, his his form of justice. Like, is he the right person to make that call, right? The thing about... Well, and one thing I just wanted to mention about just the arc of the show and where it peaked and all that, I still think episode eight might... I, I think it hit, hit similar heights to six. In a lot of ways, um, and and I'll, I'll come back to that. But to to kind of jump on what you said, Keith, the thing about the show and its ending is, it's a, it's kind of a love letter to the end of the first one in many ways. It it reflects back. It, it just does such an amazing job of showing what the outcome is of people with, like Manhattan represents a character of ultimate power. And what would you do with that if you actually had it? And then uh, the second, you know, version of that is having the ultimate intellect. And what would you do? And like what the burden of that. So I don't know if you guys remember from the comic book, um, there's this story that they tell and, it, and it's mentioned throughout this series, also this TV series. Uh, I forgot the name of the comic, but basically like it there's a comic inside the comic of the Watchmen. And it's about this, uh, this dude who's on a journey alone. It's a story about loneliness. Actually, it's the thing that Osmandis is reading, I think, at the end of episode eight. And um, basically, when you go through this whole thing, by the time you get to the end, the whole point of it is the story's being told side by side with the actual Watchmen story. And it's like about the burden of being the one who can like save the world, essentially. Or like like taking on a responsibility that others won't kind of for the greater good, yeah. for the utilitarian good. And it's weird because Ozymandias has, has the exact same experience on Earth as he has with um, the Europa world, where he really, I don't think, sees those clones much different than human beings on Earth. Like, like to him, like they, they are the same kind of disappointing. They're disappointing in different ways, but the disappointment amounts to the same thing. People on Earth don't appreciate what Ozymandias did. And even the president of the United States dismisses him, even though he's the one who put him in place that I've gotten I'll become president without you. And I got I, I'm cool. I got stuff going uh, yeah. just fine. Very and utilitarian. Yeah, but the thing, he, he he believes that humans, because he keeps complaining how people keep making bombs. Why do they keep making bombs? That's all they can think of is making bombs. They could, I've given them energy sources to do this and do this clean and blah, 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 blah. And all they want is to make bombs. Right. And on the other, so when when people have cognizance and, and they can make choice and all that, they always choose fear. And he'd use fear, the greatest weapon, to drive the world to his particular ends. But then when he goes to a place where that's not present and all they want to do is serve him as master, it's it's the opposite problem. It's the exact opposite problem. It's really interesting, and he saves the world again. But this time, you know, there's a. It, it feels very TV. The end they chose where he, he's going to be taken into justice and arrested. Um, but I don't know what what, what did you guys think of that? just seeing his arc as a character in in, I mean his daughter True and all. I mean like just so much shit going on. I um I didn't like the. The fact of him being arrested, that was very TV, very... It, it kind of didn't fit with what I would expect from the Watchmen. Um, I, th I think if you remember, the reason I kind of saw it was Lori actually says to him, you know, look, the world's going on and it's doing the same shit, even though you so-called saved it. The world's going to continue going. Yeah, That's, her, that's, that's yeah. how she sees it. Yeah, because he's she like you. Yeah, everyone's talking about the world's gonna end, but it's still here. So, yeah. Um, one thing. Okay, so that story you was talking about the comic book within the comic is called the Tales of the Black Freight Freighter. Mm -hmm. I think that's how you put it. Yeah, freighter. Yeah, I believe that's and, correct. 
And so, um, from what I see, I don't, I don't, I forgot about it in the comic book, but it did say that it's a comic book magazine within the Watchmen universe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, based off what what you're saying about the plot of the story, what what we're seeing a lot in the Watchmen is people being um, motivated through um, through nostalgia and this, um, and and in a in a way like delusions of grandeur. But it's it's connected to something that exists within this world. Whether it's um, Will Reeves watching the um, that that classic the co- cowboy movie he watched, that in a sense inspired him to be a mask Avenger, or if it's um, the tales of the Black Freighter when it comes to Ozymandias realizing that he ha- like you said he had to be the one to make this decision. And I think a lot of that does kind of speak to like how much how much does media actually play a part in the decisions that people make and yep. what and, and driving what the framing for how people see conflict or what motivates them to do the things that they do like it's actually really crazy you mentioned that too because really fear isn't just simply what drives people to you know so called like call off the, the you know the arms race it's the thing that drives uh, Ozymandias to kill everybody in the first place. It's the thing that that um, Will Reeves eventually admits is what drove him. It wasn't the anger of what had happened to him in, in nearly being lynched. It was the fear driving him. Mm-hmm. Like everything actually is driven by fear. And even the things that Manhattan does, you know, you could say if we, you know, we have time to, to delve into that and in, into more, uh, uh, more depth. Those things are also driven by fear. So, is it the fear of loss or a fear of, of uh, for for Manhattan? I mean, for for most of the characters, do you think it's more of a fear of loss or a fear of pain or a fear of being forgotten? A, a fear of, I mean, a, a lot of it seems seems to dig back into vulnerability. Or, or, or like a fear of if I don't do something, it, you know, will, everything will be lost. Well, the ticking clock too. How there's always a death clock. There's always the, you know, the the nuclear clock. What do they call it exactly? The midnight. The, the clock? doomsday clock. The doomsday yeah, clock. Yeah, the that's count that's the that's countdown that's clock, which is, we always all kind of feel, which I guess is death. And maybe hey, can we, we talk about the. As you're bringing this up, can we talk about the beginning of episode five at some point when the clock actually goes off? Amazing, right? Absolutely amazing. Fantastic. Yeah. I just, I I think it does such a good job of talking about our paranoia. And yeah, there is something very stress inducing about time and about a specific measure of time and knowing like, like I've been seeing a lot of movies about the death penalty lately, um, notably Clemency and Just Mercy. And with both of them, the real terror of it isn't someone's going to die so much as someone knows exactly when they're going to die if they don't do these things exactly the right way. And I think Watchmen really taps into that sort of very basic human terror. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I mean, you know, I hadn't even thought about it like this, really. I mean, I'd, I'd been saying it as if I'd, I'd been ready to discuss it this way, but... I mean, is every single character really driven by fear that much? I mean, it, it feels correct, actually, if you're going through it. Like, for example, with, um, oh my, isn't his name Dale, the police officer? Well, Looking Glass, whatever it is. It's like Looking Glass. I think it is Dale, but it's Looking Glass for this. You talk about a man driven by fear. Yeah. Right. And and then having the the truth unveiled. Man, and it's weird because like we've lived with that mythos and, and knowing what happened as readers for decades, and then those decades have passed, and we've you know of course we you know we're not in that world, but we know what happened, right? Mm-hmm. And then to see the world get t- you know turned upside down for him, I mean that's that was insane. I mean this this show did so many things so well. Uh, just just really getting us to bind to that world, even if you aren't even intimately familiar with the details of the source material prior to this. I mean, it, it was fantastic. Yeah, the yep. stuff it taps into is such a basic level of 
human terror. I mean, from like fear of sexual humiliation when you're like a 15 year old, like he is to fear of your spouse dying when you're older. It really just touches on everything. All of the stuff that really will keep you will really mess you up for a really long time. Yeah. And it, I think it was, I think, I, I think looking glass show episode was one. That's the one right before the hooded the justice. justice. Yeah. And that was, that was the first episode that I was like, dang, this up. This show is good. <laughs> Because I was I was on board anyway, and then mm-hmm. when I saw that one, I was like, man! And I was just looking at it from his point of view of being um, around at the time that this squid attack happens. What a story, and, man! Yeah, and you know, prior to that, what they like, they were already him and his church group. They were already preparing for this, like the fact that we may die at any moment now like this. And, and, and then for him to have that moment where he, as he put it, he had sinned and he was talking to himself, you're a sinner. You know, when that girl was acting like she was going to have sex with him and she ran off with all his clothes. And as he, he's, you know, coming into the realization of what a sinner he is, everything goes down in New York and he walks out and, it, and hell is right in front of him. Right. And he's screaming out why. And I was thinking, like, from his point of view, what would the first thing that come to your mind be? At that moment, I would think that I'm the only person that survived or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I just I just w- walked into the the apocalypse. Or you got transported to hell for you know trying to have sex too early. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, with- <laughs> <laughs> Which is a very human thing to do. Like, the world is about to end. Like, why not get you a piece real quick, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it, it's just so much about about that, that episode. It was just so clean. Um, something else just in general I, I was so fascinated with by the show is, you know, like, if you actually have God powers, like, what, what happens to your, your humanity? It's not just that he's like all powerful, like a Superman or something like he is truly like the way he experiences the way he just has experience is not like any other being that really exists, not just on his his world, but like in fiction, there just really aren't many characters that have viewpoints like this. And yeah. he can't help but talk in the present tense because he is ever present in all moments yeah. that, that he's able to perceive, you know, where he's, he's somehow like from a some weird things happening where like his atoms are screwed up and he can't see the moment. Other than that, he he's always in an argument. He's always having his skin burned off of him and turning into Dr. Manhattan. He is always, you know, having joy. He is like he is always experiencing all these things and it's in that weird time paradox they introduce i was like that's the coolest that's the coolest fucking version of time travel <laughs> kind of thing i've i've seen like that was really awesome um and y'all know what i'm talking about like where she, where she speaks to to um dr man adney and she says how did you know that dude had a um a clan hood in his closet. And he's like, he has a clan hood in his closet. And she's talking to her her <laughs> grandfather like, well, how many years in the past? Like ten? Yeah, because she's yeah. Ha- because he's having conversations in the present time and the future at the same time. He can convey information across ten years to the different parties he's talking to. That was just incredibly cool and incredibly imaginative. Yeah, but then she created a a literal time paradox. Yeah. That, that let him know, oh yeah, I'm gonna have to kill him. <laughs> but but it might not have been. So the, the thing that's really interesting about this is he probably was part of Cyclops. It, it it's possible he was not. He he almost certainly was though. Because by the time Johnson. we get, to, yeah, by the time we get to where we are in the series, you know, having seen, seen him hung himself and then knowing his wife had a trap door in the house. Yeah, yeah, they they were all a part of Cyclops already. Yeah. Um. I would say it's like, well, Calvary or whatever. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Like, I, I, I always, too, enjoy the parallels between Os, Osmondeus and um, Dr. Manhattan. Like, when you say, like, the what it is to be the smartest man in the world and what it is to be 
a all-powerful being, essentially a, a living God in the sense where it kind of it kind of also go back to like that idea of fear. Like, I think I think the 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 concept of a human in a way knowing that eventually one day you're going to die adds more purpose into your life in some some type of way. Whereas like what Dr. Manhattan, he 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 can see everything but his own future. Like he doesn't know if he's gonna die. He doesn't know um he, he doesn't have any type of fear as Dr. Manhattan in a sense. So it's almost like what is the purpose of anything? And then how do you really be able to love and learn a person when you pretty much know everything that they're going to say, you know, every argument that you're going to have with them. So it's like, he's so disconnected from all living things. And then he even goes and creates life. And then what just leaves it there? Like, okay, I did this and I know I can do it. And that's just it. Right. So, well, I mean, yeah. Cause he, 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 it's like, where do you find meaning if you can do that kind of stuff? Yeah, and, and I felt like his death, in a sense, was liberating for him. Right, yeah, because he, yeah. he finally experienced emotion again. Right, he experienced fear. For the, for the, I mean, not the first time, because the first time, his, the first time he experienced fear, or the last time he experienced fear was the first time he stepped into that machine and became Dr. Manhattan and essentially died, in a sense. Mm-hmm. I bet. Like Swamp Thing. <laughs> I think the fact that he's so trapped in inevitability and he's so trapped in this cycle that he knows he can't escape from is why he embraces Angela out of all the humans in the world who he could fall for, he goes for her. Just that moment where she says, the two key moments, the one is where she tries to save his life even though she knows it's impossible. And the other thing where <laughs> when they're back in the bar and she knows that all of this is going to end tragically and he says, so will you still go to dinner? And she's like, you know, why not? Like, those are well, just Well, also the thing he said moments. was, don't all relationships end tragically. Which is true. <laughs> I was like, God damn it, you're right. <laughs> kind of, but we need to redefine tragedy because we think it's like a loss when somebody dies when they're 95. And if you die when you're 95, you won. I mean, we have to stop looking at it as the the win is to live forever and start looking at it as like a win is to have a good life that that is such a a 20th century thing to say tim we are living in the now and we are living when amazon's gonna let us have robot hearts and and fish eyes and just be able to live forever living in now i think what he mean by tragedy is that essentially every relationship ends like you know so it could be a breakup it could be a divorce. It could be death. And so even a breakup and a divorce can be tragic. So that's how, that's where I got from it. So, no, I mean, no, I, I, but, you know, it, it, but I think as Tim is pointing out, you know, we, <laughs> that shouldn't be seen always. It, it's inevitable, you know, and to some degree, it doesn't always have to be defined as tragedy. Although I will say... Um, you know, the the relationship that we see between Ozymandias and True, uh, really interesting. Um, <laughs> because True, you know what's funny? Like, she tries to be, like, this cold-hearted bitch. And she probably is to pretty much everybody. But, like, she is not that with Ozymandias. She really, really desires his approval. And I think when he put out Save Me, Daughter, all of that... Um, I think he was just using her. I don't think he really was like, oh, I embrace you now. I think yeah. they're in a mind game. I think she just wants to like prove that she's the greater brain because she doesn't really care. She doesn't want his love like as she would from the yeah, traditional yeah, no, father. No, yeah, it's not that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, I think they're just like in a battle of am I the smartest person or are you the smartest person, which was cool. I liked it. <laughs> he was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to kill my seed now. I was like, yeah, he eventually killed her, so... Um. What yeah, was... he, he he clearly was just like, I guess I got to go save the world. And then I was laughing because uh, Looking Glass was like, man, some, I don't know how you put it. It was something like, 
you know, well, Dr. Manhattan, blah, blah, blah. He's like, oh, no, John's dead. I'm not even sweating that part. I'm just going <laughs> to stop her from getting his powers. Like, I mean, I like John, too. Let, I, I'll, I'll stress about that, like, after this part's done. Because if I don't keep moving, we're all going to die. <laughs> yeah. And his whole thing was that, like, she couldn't be the one to have these godlike powers. Yeah, because he was like, I, that, that's me, and I, that, that's, that's bad me. That, that that's me that's like just wanting the power and trust me like whatever latin phrase he says you don't want it takes one to know one translated to whatever cool latin stuff he said yeah because he was <laughs> he was a narcissist and she said she'll have everybody bowing down kissing her blue feet well he said that she would you know approach yeah, it that way because she, she was talking about like oh i'm gonna end world hunger i'm gonna get rid of nukes blah blah, blah. he's like uh-huh Sure. So, yeah, because basically he's like, if you combined me. So, OK, it's like if you think about this, like from the the superhero genre kind of thing, it's like if you combine Batman and Superman. What happens? Probably not good shit. Or maybe Lex Luthor was Superman more so. That is also scary. And that did happen in All Star Superman. <laughs> yeah. That's, oh, yeah, sure did. That's like too much. Boom. <laughs> yeah, I'll read comics. But uh, <laughs> we are all Lex Luthor and we are all Superman. No, just kidding. I, I I do like how the show gives you just enough information about these characters to let you have these philosophical debates where they never like explain clean cut ethical dilemmas. Like what would you do if you had the power to do anything in the world? They just kind of throw a little bit of information out there and then have one character pass judgment on it and another character pass judgment on it. And then you could like fall asleep thinking about that for days. Like the part right. I, I seriously fell asleep last night thinking about that line from, Hood of Justice, whose civilian name I don't remember, where he says, like, yeah, he did a lot of good things, but for all his power, he could have done a lot more. Uh, st- Will, Will Reeves. Yeah, Will Reeves. When he says that Dr. Manhattan just could have done a lot more than he did, and it's absolutely true. But then Dr. Manhattan... Ooh, can, I, can I say something about that, too? Oh, yeah. no, no, I, I, I'll say the point until you're done. I'll say the point until you're done. Well, Sorry, it, I thought you were finished. In Dr. Manhattan's mind, he's like, I'm doing more harm than good by interfering in their world. Like, I thought by going to Vietnam... I was doing the right thing because that's my worldview. I'm an American. I'm trying to help my country. But he probably realizes afterwards, no, this was actually incredibly destructive. Yeah, and he said so. He said, you know, when he was talking to Angela, he said, you know, I I regret it. And then she was like, you know, said something back. And he was like, well, haven't you done something you regret? You know? And it's funny because in the in the movie, if you watch Watchmen, it's kind of not very believable to Ozymandias it regrets what he did. He just seems like the kind of like this ass smug asshole who knows he was right. But in the comic book, you really feel the weight of Ozymane is going, man, I really did that. Like, was this the right thing to do? Like, I feel like I, I did what was needed. Cause what other option did we have? But damn, like I, 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 I mean, he, he feels that burden. Of, of having taken those lives. And it's really interesting. What I want to piggyback on to what you said about Will Reeves and could he have done more. You see this. This show is like secretly. I said secretly, but like watching this as a black viewer is very different, I think, from watching it as a viewer of, of some other ethnicity. Um, there are so many itty bitty things that have picked up. Because I can tell you, Tim, the whole you could have done more thing is said in like every other Tyler Perry movie and like all kinds of other black media. Like it it has kind of like this this weird significant weight to it because it's always this thing about like, you know, somebody makes it out or they do something and could they have done more than they did? You hear this comment about Michael. This is a really random thing I'm about to say. It sounds like. But Keith, know what I mean when I say it. But people say all the time of Michael Jordan, for example, he's made all this money. He's done blah, blah, blah. Couldn't he have done more? You hear people say this about all kind of other people who are super successful, whether in entertainment or politics or whatever. It's always a question. You get a certain amount of power. Could you have done more? But oftentimes people don't think about the consequences involved with like that thing that looks like it's a super positive thing that was done. There's almost always something on the back end that's not being considered some other impact or just kind of auxiliary impact you it's, know this that's not seen it's a weird thing about like guilt and self i guess you kind of you look to your own house before you look to your neighbors in a way in terms of what you can do i mean everybody kind of looks in their own mirror instead of looking outward but like 
why does it fall? Why would it fall to like black people to fix America? You know what I mean? Like, like black people didn't break America. Like, why does it fall to like poor people to do better for the poor? Like, why does it always get internalized and get turned to like the person who's been, I don't want to say victimized by a system, but often I can't think of a better word than that at the moment. Mm. the person who's been victimized by the system to fix the system. Like it should be, it's just, it, it's a reflection of how messed up we are. All of us that nobody looks to like <laughs> the very successful person who's benefited from the system to fix it with the same scrutiny that they do the person who they're close to. And I think it's partly that, you know, we're all comfortable criticizing our friend or our brother because we know them and we know that they can handle it more than we're comfortable criticizing a stranger. But it does seem like it, it always trips me up when I hear sort of this kind of internalized criticism instead of like outward facing criticism at rich white people, honestly. <laughs> mm. And I was thinking today, this is just me thinking and talking like in the grand scheme of things, like I don't think of myself as a rich person. But in the world scheme of things, in terms of people who don't have running water and don't know like where food is coming from, I'm incredibly rich. And I think right now, like, should I, what else should I be doing? Like, so I relate to like a Dr. Manhattan in that sense. I don't feel like I have an incredible amount of power, but I definitely have more power than somebody in Cambodia who doesn't have limbs because they were blown off by a mine just to go really dark. You know, it's but the thing is that kind of stuff that, that that was that went all over the place in many ways, and at the same time, it's still very relevant to the show. And the Vietnam, the the not having a Doctor Manhattan there, because um, like in the show, Angela loses her parents to terrorism from people who feel like it should not be the fifty first state or fifty second, whatever thing it is in, in the in the world of uh, Watchmen. Vietnam is um, a state of yeah. the United States. And we are people who, you know, depending on your point of view, right, um, feel as if Dr. Manhattan's actions weren't justified. Her understanding of it is beautiful where she says a young man became a puppeteer because he wanted to feel power and he built a bomb because he wanted to run off the oppressor, basically. Like the fact that she's able to recognize that humanity in the person who killed her parents shows what an amazingly empathetic person she is. But she's not, she's not wrong to the puppeteer. The puppeteer is absolutely the good guy who's defending his country. And, uh, and the thing is, what, I mean, if he put on a mask, right, and <laughs> continued to be like a revolutionary who is running operations against the, the United States military who was stationed in Vietnam, I mean, you know, it, there's so many things you could obviously do with that kind of stuff and, and those those parallels and the, the, they're like writing your face they don't like you said bang you against the head with it but it does beg a question it you know the, the sort of question that watchman's always interested in about you know people seeing themselves as heroes and, and taking on actions like killing others and seeing themselves as if they're doing an Ozymandias type deed as terrorists. Right. And I also think, because to, to add to the point of what Dr. Manhattan could have did, I honestly think that, I guess realistically, like if I was Dr. Manhattan and I was dealing with them same situations, I would have distanced myself from mankind also, because I think that his existence actually does more hurt than it does good. Unless you're going to do a whole lot to, I mean, well, what I'm there's, saying, there's, there's just too much fear involved with his presence. His, yeah, his presence in it changes human stories. Like, if you, you know, based off your religious beliefs, for example, if there's this blue man that comes out and he's essentially seeming to be all powerful, then it would change your whole vision and how you view God. It could, but you could just see it as another being that God happened to create. It depend. I, I really would have been interested to see them dive into that a little bit not, more. Not, in, not, not in how, not in how powerful Doctor Manhattan is. In the fact that Doctor Manhattan used to be a man, so then now this this begs the question that if one man was able to become a god, then 
what validity does this give us in our own beliefs and these things that we be- believed our whole lives and for like hundreds and hundreds of years and centuries and stuff. So you mean the difference between saying a man or a God can be created versus the God being something beyond worldly invention. Right. I think that makes a, that makes a huge difference in like um, our conception of things. And then you see this thing that's considered in this world to be a literal God and then also start to make decisions over what's right or what's wrong. And um, people will revolt against that. People will have a problem against that and they will be living in a constant state of fear. Um, Cause you'll have yeah. people that, that might, that might love them. You have people that will worship them. And then you have people that will always be in a constant state of fear and have the people that might worship him, might worship him more so out of fear than anything else. But here's the thing. Let's say you somehow got rid of all war. I think part of the whole thing that Watchmen, it doesn't state outright, but seems to leave open as as a question worth debating is once humans have free will, aren't they always going to find like there will always be those who are content with how things are, but there will always be those who are not content with how things are. And so conflict is like this inevitable thing that that's like just like a cycle, almost like Buddhism, like, you know, like to live is to suffer kind of thing. But like also for people to be amongst each other is to have conflict. Yeah, but I think that that's also something that humans have to come to a conclusion on on their own and not be forced to. Like it's kind of like in a way the the world that Dr. Manhattan created was what a perfect paradise utopia would look like. Essentially, the world where they have no free will. Right. Like, and, yeah, yeah, exactly. Adam and Eve. So they're Adam and Eve without the free will. And mm-hmm. we see what that looks like, right? And that that's not, that in itself is a warped resistance in itself that is this existence that I don't think that um, it's not even being human. You're more of a, a robot or something. Yeah, and and that's you remember Manhattan said he got bored with it. Ozymandias clearly got bored with it. But the thing is, the show has this whole thing too. Where it talks about like matter is just kind of like or, or organisms just kind of being matter, but not necessarily having like the the idea of a soul for these people who are all powerful or, or like intellect beyond intellect kind of thing, like Ozymandias, like. It, it literally even like goes into like how True's um, laboratories are run. Remember, like they cloned a kitten, a, a puppy, something, and she was like, she was like, "Is this the? Does this look right to you? Like, it's the same size? I cloned it right." And he's like, "Eh, no, it's a little different." She was like, "Do you want a puppy?" And he's like, "What the hell am I gonna do with a puppy?" And then she just throws it in the incinerator. Right. And Ozymandias takes human clones, however they're created, right? And he just like, if he gets upset, he just chops them all up. If if he needs to go out and put a message of, you know, save me daughter. He just throws all the bodies out in, you know, in the frozen space and just like puts, you know, like it, it's it's just really interesting. Like the way this show conceptualizes organisms and like they're, they're like the idea that they're not special, that there are no souls attached, like all this kind of stuff. Like it's, it's really, it's, or even at the end when, that last clone, the first one, he puts a mask on him and like he's like, you know, man of crew, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, was I a worthy adversary? And he's like, he's about to die. Nope. Not well, going to let you have that before you die. It gets into we want to be challenged. Like we want to have an antagonist and we want to have obstacles to overcome. But we don't want so many obstacles that our lives are just completely miserable. Like we want a difficult uphill struggle that we can then defeat. And Dr. Manhattan doesn't have that anymore because he's all powerful. Until the very end, he doesn't have that anymore. And Ozymandias kind of never has it, um, maybe until the very end. I guess this show kind of has both of those incredibly powerful characters finally meeting somebody who can defeat them. And that's interesting. But um, it does seem to go to, like, the key to happiness is you need enough challenges to feel good about overcoming them without having so many challenges that you're just defeated all the time. This is much deeper than I was expecting. Yeah, but yes. Yeah. It, yeah. I think that does definitely give your life a lot more meaning. Like you can't, I guess in a way, like you can't have something that's too, you can't have a life that's too easy because then there will be no growth from it. Yeah. And then 
on one end, it is possible for something to be too hard or for you to have too many challenges that make it damn near impossible to get, you know, a step ahead. So, uh, yeah, I think it depends on what aspect of your life you're talking about. Like, I don't think anybody wants to wants like super obstacles to be like, you know, like if you're talking about your career and like you got to do this uphill climb and work for it. It's like, all right, there's one thing but like. I'd love to have clean water. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just kind of this thing that's present. So, so yeah, it, it's because you guys are definitely right. I, I just was was saying that out loud. It's just kind of funny. If, like, kind of imagine somebody doing the, what's that Greek fable where, like, this dude is always pushing a rock up, but he can't ever get to the top? Sisyphus. Yeah. It's kind of like, yeah. it's kind of like, I, I think about, like, running. If I'm, you know, if I'm running a race with another person who's, like, at about my level or a little bit faster, it's super satisfying to beat them. If I'm like racing a three-year-old, I'm just kind of like keeping that three-year-old entertained. You know, like it's not. Some people like that stuff. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, but I'm not like in a real race with that three-year-old because I'm going to beat that no, three-year-old no, no. cold, cold. Mark my words. Man, your right. child is going to be real salty. <laughs> no competitions with them. <laughs> like damn, Man. that is me. <laughs> <laughs> So um, I want I wanted to just uh, also kind of talk about just some of the performances from some of the actors. I thought I mean some of these people. I mean I, I, they, everybody did an amazing job. I, I thought uh, there was some really interesting standouts. Just starting with Regina King, I thought she was just she she was just amazing. Like I I was thrilled her performance all the way through. Very believable, and, and she played things so smooth. Like even when He's talking true and true. He's like, you know, Dr. Manhattan is walking amongst us and he's in Tulsa. And she's like, Psh, man, no. You know, I like how the first few episodes like Dr. Manhattan is kind of mentioned almost as an afterthought to make you think like, well, I'm I'm sure he's gonna play a part, but not this. I didn't think he was gonna play this big a part into the story, to the overall narrative. So that was yeah. pretty cool. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was some real good performances on this show. Ooh, ooh the dude who played so I don't I don't know um, the the actor's name, but the guy who played Will Reeves in uh, episode six. Uh, oh, excellent! Absolutely fantastic. The younger Will Reeves. Yeah. Oh man, that oh, that episode. Damn, and, it's good. And Lou Gossett Jr. as old Will Reeves, amazing. Oh yeah, Psh, man. Well, he, I mean, go without saying, he, he's always being a boss. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, definitely working. Yeah, he he crushed it. Uh, James Walk, really good. Loved his stuff. Yeah. What's I guess say Senator Joe King. Uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, there's so many. I'm I'm trying to think like who to who to. Oh, Looking Glass. Yeah, I definitely give him his his props. Like, crushed it. He's a fellow oh. Tim, Tim Blake Nelson. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, and uh, oh man, I don't want to uh, screw up his name. Uh, is it Yaha Abdul Mateen? Um, that sounds about right. I vote yeah, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, playing Cal A Bar. Fantastic work. Um, I also didn't realize, but so Laura Blake's um, her dildo. So. Somebody pointed this out later. So it was called Excalibur. Hmm. But it's like X, you know, like her X Cal A bar. So Excalibur. Oh my God. Interesting. Yeah, I was like, you gotta be there are probably so many uh that's the Easter most, eggs. That's the most intellectual wow. dick joke. <laughs> Good job, Watchmen. Uh I don't yeah, who 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 was in the writer's room? They, they gave that person a bonus. <laughs> Like, I never figured out, y'all. Who was the okay. slick body dude? Was that just a random character? Okay, so so I've seen people talk about <laughs> this, right? All right, so the, what's the dude's name? So the one that Laura Blake brought with her, that's who people think this is. The young guy. The young dude, yeah. Because we don't see him anymore, right? We sure don't. But, but what the shit was he doing? I guess that makes sense. Yeah, if it is him, I have no clue. He was really into like the whole superhero thing, but it's like you didn't see him no more after that. I'm like, what the hell? And he just slides down the sewer drain. I was yeah, a, 
I was about to say how impressed I am that they left no loose ends, that they set up so much stuff in the early episodes and then resolved it all perfectly. But now I'm actually more impressed because they very deliberately threw in one thing that they definitely didn't resolve unless I missed something big. I definitely don't know who the hell I'd have to rewatch the whole thing. I'm like, what was the point of that scene now looking back on it? And she had just thrown she had thrown Will Reeves sawed off wheelchair out to a, like where a garbage can could pick it up and then she got seen and then ran and tried to find him. So yeah, I mean un- unresolved. We you know, we can put an exclamation mark on it. Unresolved bullet point. So why did why did Lady True clone her mother and was raising that was a, a t- well, was that a twist to you guys, or was I just was I just slow the fact that that little girl was her mama the whole time? Well, I didn't know it was her mama. I mean, it made sense after seeing um, the last episode. Yeah, because she wouldn't even be. I mean, she was just a sample. See, that's what I mean. Even like everything with organic matter, anything with organic matter, it there's so many different versions of it. Like the way I think, even she would see it is, I just still be sitting in that tube. If my mama didn't make that decision to say Scrooge Mandy, it's now I can't remember like why she would have been so upset with him to take his seat like that. I'm trying to. Oh my god, I'm trying to remember what was going on. Uh, I, I, I it could just be you know just I really hate my boss. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that that's all right. Sure, I mean, could but be. I, that's you know what I'm saying. He may he may have made a couple of racist comments here and there. He was like, um, "I'm gonna take your seat, and my daughter is gonna have that bri- that that good old brain of yours." I guess I don't know. It yeah. is really interesting though that the place that I mean, like, this stuff all comes full circle in a really interesting way because, like, the place. So in Vietnam, they they took the I, and again, we don't really see exactly how it worked, but whether he kidnapped those people, he's like, I'm gonna give you a certain amount of money to be clean up stuff and help me do this little TV crew thing or whatever. Like the people of Vietnam are like really really important in the show. And and it all comes down to the war and Dr. Manhattan's involvement in it. And it all comes full circle when the daughter of somebody who um, is Vietnamese and and, uh, got herself impregnated with Ozymandias' sperm ends up being the main villain who almost takes down Ozymandias. We really could have just left him out there or whatever, or even just killed him whenever she felt like it, but you know, for whatever reason, you know, felt like it was important for him to be present. I really do think she was emotionally attached to the idea of having him witness her genius like that and seeing her become a Dr. Manhattan. And the thing is, his involvement with the war and everything that happened with that was actually going to be the thing that took him out. Dr. Manhattan, actually, excuse me, it is what got him killed, really. Yeah, and that that does make sense. That could just be a bigger revenge plot to get back at Dr. Manhattan, that I'm going to have a daughter that has to be that's gonna grow to be smart enough to figure out a way to kill him. I think to some people they'd be like, ah, that's kind of whack and weird. I thought that was brilliant and really interesting, actually. Well, the, the fact that he kept his sperm behind a picture of Alexander the Great. Oh, well, I don't know why he did that part, but you know, I just mean like this idea that like, hey, it all comes full circle. You know and why I- it comes full circle? It actually it ends up making a whole lot of sense, and he did reap what he sowed, like to 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 you know the the people of, of Vietnam. Also, if there's a 30 or 40 year old virgin out there, and if you're listening to an hour into this podcast, the odds are very good that you are a 30 or 40 year old virgin. Uh, The thing that (laughs) he says, I have never given myself to a woman, is a very cool way to phrase that. That's a very good frame. (laughs) Yeah, I I, got to say, like, that was. I was real slick of him. And I mean, I'm sure he meant it. I just mean, like you said, like, if you have to find a way to say it, that's a pretty damn good way to say it. (laughs) Yeah. And And I'm just kidding. Nothing but respect for everybody out there who has never... Now it sounds like an incel podcast or something. Never mind. Never mind. Scratch all that. Forget it. (laughs) Keep it all. I love how we work through that and realize, eh, you know, that's why people don't say it. (laughs) Just that type of guy that will masturbate and then just save it. Yeah, totally was, normal. That's what. Yeah, like, 
you know, like, look, it, it, okay, fine. Let, let's put that on 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 second uh, point. Uh, unsolved. Unsolved. Why is he just jacking off in the? Yeah, but you know, he's this eccentric genius. He's like, you know, I'm not gonna just flush this down the toilet. I do feel like he probably, and maybe I can clone myself later for some particular reason. I don't think it was deep. I don't think it was that deep. I literally think he was just beating his man. And he's just so weird that he felt like it would be a waste to just flush it. So he's like, I'm going to just put him in some valves and label them. I think he truly thought he was doing humanity a service by keeping some of his seed uh, frozen. And if anyone listening is doing that, you're not doing a humanity a service. Well, you're doing your bank account a service. Sperm banks keep it moving. You know, good job that too. <laughs> I'll, I do remember I'll, hearing I'll those stories back in like um, <laughs> the Victorian era where dudes would like go around and try to get as many women pregnant as possible saying they were doing a service to humanity. Sure. I bet. Terrible, terrible, weird ass stuff. Uh, <laughs> those things actually happen. Humans are some of the weirdest creatures, boy. We um, needs more workers. <laughs> so, question though, before we get way deep into that, um, second season. Could you see that happening? No. Um, this and Righteous Gemstones are two recent HBO shows where I am completely content with what they've already done. If they want to do more, great. But I think they did a great job of telling a complete, full story. All right. I don't even know where else you can go with this. Yeah, I'm, I can think of things, but I'm very happy with where they took us. Yeah. Uh, it's like, what else would you do with it? Like, you really be trying to pull their straws with this one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I also thought that about Big Little Lies, and they came out with a great second season. So, I trust the writers. I'll turn up whatever they want to do. Well, we'll see. I mean, there's, there's. I mean, if you want to do more, there's a lot clearly to do. Um, Hey, I know we're mentioning this so late, um, but I really want to give another shout out to one other amazing black moment. Uh, getting a laser beam white supremacist in the face is pretty <laughs> great. Uh, also, episode six, setting them all on fire, also great. Um, one, oh, you know, something that, that was just not utilized enough, actually, in this show that's really funny. Um, I just thought we were gonna see more of it somehow, but the the mesmerism machine, right? That tech um, used to have the the sheriff hang himself. Interesting. Never comes back up. It's something people can use. I thought yeah, it was. I mean, a, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, I was gonna say I don't think it needed to be brought back up after the fact. It was just. No, I wasn't mad about it. I wasn't mad about it. I mean, I just thought like. Look, if we're talking about things you can replicate and do, uh, it's a little easier to, like, you know, put up a Netflix application through the true organization and mesmerize everybody than become Dr. Manhattan. What if they did? Oh, shit. Uh Uh-oh. What if every episode of Secret Crime Warriors, whatever that reality show is, has a secret hidden message? We don't know. Season two. Hmm. I just freak myself out. I guess it is possible, really, if you had the ability to do something like that and you just put it on a streaming service like Disney Plus, then you could just get it right, <laughs> do whatever you wanted. What if they put it into like a small, like cute creature that everybody liked? Like if there was a character in The Mandalorian, for example, who all of America <laughs> was suddenly taken with, <laughs> like a familiar character to us, but an even cuter version. Like a baby version of that character. I don't know. I'm just talking. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's all for humanity. This is that geeky as hell, and, and that, that would be the plot in something. That's really funny. Uh, I've lost all all places I, I was thinking to go. Um, we're near an hour, uh, so any closing thoughts before we wrap up the episode? I appreciate bold crazy shows like this uh damon lindelof who brought this to hbo said on the watchman podcast that he liked how watchman was always like just on the brink of going off like always on the brink of falling apart and you kind of didn't know if it was good or bad 
because they were taking so many risks and this show definitely took those kinds of risks and sometimes I liked it, sometimes I didn't, but I super, super appreciate the risks involved and I super appreciate uh, whoever greenlit this at HBO and let them do all the crazy stuff that they did. It was a super cool ride and super cool adventure. Yeah, I agree. And it was also something that I wasn't looking for. Um because I think the Watchmen story is a pretty good story in itself, and it tells what, you know, it did what it did, and I could have never seen them going in this direction with the show. So, really appreciate it. Yeah, I was concerned. Um, I was going to watch it just because I know too many geeks, uh, you know, be like, oh, I'm not going to watch it. But, you know, I mean, that'd be whack. I mean, you should be involved in, you know, in the culture and engage, even if you're a little. Uh, skeptical, but I was delightfully surprised. This this is to me one of the shows of the decade. Um, just just really knocked it out the park, and wasn't just simply like, oh, this is entertaining. It was very insightful. I think it did show people some things about American history that they didn't know. Gave some perspectives maybe people hadn't considered, um, and really just you know even on its own, even apart from those things, was just really executed very well, you know, by everybody involved. I was super impressed with it and, you know, hope to to see, you know, not just HBO, but other networks continue to to try new things, you know, whether it's with existing IPs or new things that, um, you know, really try to, you know, continue to push the envelope, you know, and, and just take things even further. Okay, uh, to wrap it up, we don't do any advertising on this show. We don't do any weird stuff. If you want to support the show, if you listened this far, you've made it through my terrible jokes, uh, please check out coffeeandnamaste.com, which is a site run by Keith. I'm just going to let you go there and be surprised and delighted by all of the things on offer. Coffeeandnamaste.com. You can also visit my other podcast, Movie Maker Interviews, uh, available wherever you got this. Aaron, anything you want to... You covered most of the bases, except the other piece with Keith uh, covering our social media platform presence. Yeah, so um, you guys follow us and um, keep conversation going with us at the Low Key Pod on Instagram and also follow um, Low Key on Facebook. And and also check out Tim's podcast that he has with his wife. Shoot this now. It's a pretty fun show. Um, so I think that's about it, you guys. Shoot this now is officially coming back very soon. Thanks, Keith. Oh, okay, I, I, there's a, there's a hot. <laughs> we. It's like I know it's coming back. I was like, I was like, there, I, ready to discuss. I've been saying for a long time it'll be back soon. It will now really be back soon. Really be bad. Okay, so I'm watching old episodes, guys. So I'm still watching it, everything like it's brand new. So it's fantastic, man. It's great for car rides. Like I, I've been, it, like I crush. I'll, I go back and listen to some. Oh. Uh, but but since I'm about to do a drive to Atlanta coming up, I'm gonna load up the my storage with some old goodies. Not yeah, sure what I, listen to. I always when I listen to it, I always wish I was there to like throw in like my my cast options and everything like, you know, and, and it's usually DiCaprio. So <laughs> and just, just pencil him in for DiCaprio every, every single yeah, time. DiCaprio in. <laughs> I'm just going to, so if you're going to pencil in stuff, so DiCaprio obviously is a fantastic actor. Just, just see if you can find a way for the rock to be the main protagonist every time and okay. see how the movie goes. Yeah. Or, or, yeah, I don't know what, Okay, is it just me? Would Jeremy Irons make like the perfect Magneto? Oh my God, that's pretty yeah. boss, actually. Yep. I mean, the perfect Magneto. Hey man, you need to go ahead and move out to LA now so you can pitch this kind of stuff instead of giving away for free on the pod. I, I just think it'd be so dope to have like an X Men like TV show that just focus on the five original X Men. Yeah. As teenagers in a modern day setting. 
I look, I actually look, you still giving away your whole pitch idea, and somebody gonna make it, and you're gonna be like, What the hell? Yeah, why didn't I write this down somewhere first before I put this out in the ether? Okay, okay, so let's end on that note. And um, thanks for tuning us. I was, I can't wait to see this show next fall, right? (laughs) (laughs) See you, all right, see y'all, peace.